Brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Happy folk, let us pray. Giver of all good gifts, you oversee our labor and our rest. Renew our hearts for the work ahead of us. Amen. Have you ever experienced the uh, confounding frustration of knowing a person in your life who refuses to take any action whatsoever to relieve themselves of any pain that they may be in. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody and they're in pain, but they refuse to do anything about it? They don't want to. I don't want to blame the victims here, but I'm ta- and I'm talking about kind of small stuff too. All right. Somebody comes to me and they says, I've got a headache. I had a terrible headache today. And then somebody else says, did you, take, did you take anything for it? Did you take some ibuprofen for it? I say, no. They get grumpy and go away. Um, you know, you could. You could take some aspirin. But usually they don't, they don't want to hear that. I don't know what they want to hear. There's, there's a billboard that was put up by the Ad Council um, which is kind of the, the, like the, the, the American Ad Council is fascinating to me because it's a propaganda operation by the United States government, but we don't call it that. But the Ad Council put these billboards up all over the country and they say that this year in America, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. Uh, and they're, re- they're referring, of course, to some men's unwillingness to talk to their doctors about their health, or to even go to the doctor. We saw that on display during the pandemic in ways that completely blew my mind. But I saw a picture of the the billboard that said, this year thousands of men will die from stubbornness. And somebody had spray painted under it, no we won't. (laughs) Thousands of men will die from stubbornness. There's a great uh, Buddhist parable that is similar to the parable that we heard from Jesus about the way that we think about the future and the way that we act. It's called uh, the parable of the poisoned arrow. I know some of you have heard this before, but just bear with me. Uh, It begins with a man who is wounded with a poisoned arrow. His family sends for the finest doctor in the land to cure uh, the poison and remove the arrow. And the doctor arrives. There's the man laying in his bed, poisoned. He's got an arrow in him. He's, 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 get, he's, he's checking out. And uh, the surgeon says, I, I, I need to give you the antidote and remove the arrow. And the man says, no. I." I won't have this arrow removed until I know who, who shot this arrow. I, I won't have this arrow removed until I know if the man that fired this arrow was a commoner or a priest or a merchant. And the man says, furthermore, I'm not going to have this arrow removed until I know whether it was shot from a long bow, a short bow, or a crossbow. And the man goes on. And, and I need to know the kind of bowstring that was used to fire this arrow. And the fletching on this arrow. What kind of bird did it come from? And uh, 
Much to the frustration of the doctor, the family, and presumably the man, uh, he then dies. Well, in our faith tradition, in Christianity, we've not been shot with a poisoned arrow. Quite the opposite. We've been unequivocally and entirely saved by grace. And if that weren't enough, if that weren't enough, we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit to defend us. And if that weren't enough, we were given the gifts of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the fruits of the Spirit that they produce. And if that weren't enough, we were given this gift by the apostolic fathers, this thing that we call the church, called together into the church so that we don't have to do this journey alone. And if that weren't enough, we were given the sacraments, communion, and baptism to unite us into one body. And if that weren't enough, we were entrusted with the power of prayer to align ourselves with God's vision and to converse with the holy. We didn't earn any of these things. We didn't invent them. They were a gift. In fact, there was absolutely nothing that we could do to earn them. That's how valuable they are. They're given to us before we drew our first breath. They are God's investment in each and every one of us. The Bible calls them talents. That's what we just heard. And that, our current English word, talent, is, it comes from the same word. It's just, just taken from the Bible. A talent is a, 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 a bit of money, a sum of money. Bible scholars disagree about how much money it really is. Uh, Frederick Dale Bruner is one of the greatest Bible scholars, and he says the value of a talent in the time of Jesus would have been an unimaginable sum of money. Really astounding. One talent uh, would be worth more than an entire lifetime's wages. Okay. So the master, in the parable that we just heard, he is entrusting his workers with a truly mind-boggling sum of money. More money than they could ever earn on their own, in their own lives. Do, but do they believe him? Do they really, do they really believe him? Do they, do they trust him that, that this is really an investment? This is our inheritance from God. Do we really understand and value God's investment in us? My sainted father uh, used to love to subject his two sons to experiments. <laughs> I think he viewed us as like his social science experiment. And uh, one day, um, he gathered my, uh, all three of us, my, he, put my, he included my sister in this one. My sister and my brother and I, the three of us together. I think I was probably eight years old when this happened. And so that would have made my sister Emily six years old and my brother Charles would be about 16 years old. And he said to us very gruffly, these are for you. And he gave each of us an envelope. And we opened them. 
And inside each envelope was a crisp new $100 bill. A truly unimaginable sum of money for an eight-year-old. I immediately started to trying to figure out what day it was. Because I only got stuff like that if it was Christmas or maybe a birthday or something. Um, my brother, he was older, he was 16. And he knew a game was afoot. So Charles looked up at my dick. And this was back when $100 was a lot of money, folks. Back in the 1820s. You, know, so you, you could buy a house and a horse. for. I'm just kidding. It was, it was a lot of money, though. And Charles, the 16, the oldest, he looked at my dad. He said, why? <laughs> why? And my dad looked at him and said, be wise. And he walked away. <laughs> Well, I think Charles used the money, uh, if I remember correctly, he was going on a school trip um, to, to Europe or Germany or something. I think he used that as his, his pocket money. And one of us tuck, um, tucked the money away in a piggy bank and spent uh, our time dreaming about what it could do for us in the future. That's the sibling that grew up to become a very successful physician's assistant. And she's not here today. <laughs> One of us spent it on some stupid thing that we can't remember. <laughs> that was me. I've never been good with money. Um, as my grandma used to say, don't give money to Nate. It just burns a hole in his pocket. I know that research says that money is better spent on experiences than on um, objects. God hasn't given her children a $100 bill. She has given us something that we couldn't earn, not even with a lifetime of labor. God has given us grace. God has given us a promise. And God has given us the means to produce the fruits of the Spirit. And I believe, as somebody who believes that God is actively involved in creation, I think that God is very curious to see what we're going to do with the gifts that we were given and did not earn. Some of us are going to get busy chasing after earthly things and probably ignore the value of the gifts that we have. Um, some of us are probably terrified by the gift and we bury it in the ground. I am painfully aware of the financial resources that are held in trust by the major Protestant denominations in the United States of America. I took upon myself the sorry task of trying to add up the endowments that we hold just in the United Church of Christ alone, endowed funds that we inherited from 500 years of congregationalism in the United States of America. It is a substantial sum of money. And out of deference to my love for the United Church of Christ, I'll just say that there is so much that we could do if we had the courage. God has made the decision, though, to trust us, to trust us with that investment. 
There's a wonderful book by a Russian author, Yeni Yevtushenko. It's called Don't Die Before You're Dead. It's the title of the book. He wrote it later in his life. Yevtushenko grew up uh, and saw uh, basically the entire project of the USSR, uh, the Soviet Union, over the course of his life as a political activist and poet, writer, and professor. And the book, Don't Die Before You're Dead, it talks about, it's, it's somewhat autobiographical. It talks about an attempted coup in the 1990s against Gorbachev's government. And here he is, this weathered old college professor, having seen more than he wanted to see in Soviet Russia. And yet, and yet, I think it is his wife that says to him, when he just wants to lay down on the couch and ignore everything that's happening, she says, Yeni, don't die before you're dead. And so he picks up his placard and he goes out and he joins the march. He protests and he participates once again in the political life because he knows that he was given a gift and that he has a responsibility to invest it in the world. When we celebrate that gift, when we celebrate the fact that God trusts us enough to invest in us, then we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to trust God in return. I think that it means that we believe with our hearts and minds and souls and strength that death has been vanquished, that death has no power over us, that we have everything that we need in this life to be healers and repairers of the breach, to speak truth to power and justice, to love people who hate us and care for people who despise us. That's powerful stuff. Those are powerful gifts. They are the earthly expression of the grace given to us by God. But today, as I'm reading the text that we heard from Paul, I think that what occurs to me is that contingent upon this promise is the realization that God trusts us so much that God is not going to take those gifts away from us. That we have our entire lives in which to invest our spiritual gifts. We know that no earthly ruler, no power or principality here on earth can take away God's gifts. But I think that Jesus as gently as possible, Son of God, wants us to know that God does have expectations for a return on the investment. Jesus uses really hard language in the story from today about this master and servants. But I think that he may be frustrated when he sees us hungering after the pointless things of the world rather than focusing on the harvest to be accounted for by the gifts of God invested in us. I think that Jesus, Jesus' heart breaks when he sees any person become this bottomless pit of pointless desires. But the knowledge that we have been given the gift is sufficient. This week, I, I want us to think really seriously about the gifts that we have. 
about the way that we can invest in God's creation and give thanks to God for investing so much in us. Let's think about one or two ways that we can invest our gifts in the world in a way that brings healing and hope into places of darkness and brings joy to God. That's the holy harvest. We do it with the word that God has given us right now. I want to close with a story of a man who I knew who came here to America from Africa. He came here 20 years ago. And at one point in my ministry, uh, I knew the man, um, Richard. He, had a ta- he was a tailor. That was his job in Africa. He would, you know, tailor clothes and suits and things like that. And we need tailors in America. Not tons, but we still need tailors. And I, my role in his life transition was to help him find a studio where he could set up the sewing machines and all of the workstations that he needed for his tailor business. We were able to find that place. We found him a spot. He opened up a storefront. He was doing a great tailoring business. And I came back about six months later and I went and it was filled with other people, predominantly young men from the same country that he'd come from. And I said, are these your employees? And he said, no, these are my students. He had decided to teach every young immigrant who he met how to be a tailor. And he was doing it for free to give thanks to God for having given him a place to run his business. He didn't have a lot of money, and he had very little extra time, but he had found a way to invest his talents in the work of the kingdom of God. Kindred, we've been given everything that we need by God. We don't have to do some kind of work to get into heaven. We can't earn it, and we can't pay it back. We've been given grace for free, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have expectations for us. God has high expectations for us, so we ought to have high expectations for God and for one another. We ought to have high expectations for how we invest our resources. And there is nothing more than I want in my life than to celebrate the harvest at the end of the season and say to God, look, Lord, you gave me so much while I was on earth. I did everything that I could to invest it. I want you to see, God, the harvest that I brought to you, that I brought home. I don't know if I can make make five talents into 10, or if I can make two talents into four. But I know that I will not live a life where I bury the talents that I was given in the ground. Rather, at the final accounting of my life, I will be able to say to God, see, this is what I was able to get. This is what I was able to create by investing what you gave me into your creation. Good and faithful servant. That's all I want. So this week, let's just consider anew Thanksgiving, harvest. It's the right time of year to think about these things. Let's think again about the gifts that God's invested in us 
and renew our efforts at investing them in the world for the sake of the salvation of the world. For perhaps it has never needed it more than it needs it right now. Amen. Amen.